Well, everybody, we're on uh, week 10, I think, <laughs> of our disciples. You probably got that thing memorized by now, um, our, our intro to our, our new sermon series. It's not really new anymore. It's just kind of our summer series. But uh, I just want to say um, welcome to Central. My name's Clayton, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, I, I just want to say this before we begin, that I love being the pastor here at Central. Um, we, we moved uh, 14, I don't know, 16 months ago um, to Owasso, right when the pandemic started. The first 12 weeks were online, and so I was preaching to a, a camera lens, and that was just super awkward and weird. Um, but man, it is different now. I feel like um, our family belongs here, that we're a part of this church, and it's growing, and things are happening, and I'm excited uh, to be a part of, of Central. Now, I will say this. There are times when things do get awkward in relationships or in groups, and you probably can all share stories about times that are awkward. In fact, this morning, we were in our staff prayer time. We always pray before uh, the, the first service, and we get together, and Brady Ledford, our youth intern, who was up on stage a while ago, he, he came in, he was talking about kids camp, and he uh, showed us a... Uh, or told us a story about uh, something that happened to him. And so he was uh, trying to get some uh, pictures of the crazy pie-in-the-face uh, type of uh, uh, experience, and he was trying to get them from Troy, one of the, our, our church members that was a sponsor, and he, was, he didn't have Troy's number. And so he, he looked up Troy's number and put it in in his phone, and the problem is is that he, he missed the number by one digit. And so he sends this text message to a random stranger. Hey, Troy, this is Brady. Can you send me those pics you took of me doing the whipped cream challenge thing, please? Can you imagine getting a text from some total stranger about sending pictures of whipped cream? I don't know what's going on, Brady. We can talk about it later. But I love the guy's like, nope, wrong number. I can't send that to you. I can't send that to you. Oh, my goodness. And so Brady told us that morning, I said, Brady, Airdrop me a picture of that, of your screen. I've got to put that um, on the, the, the screen here for everybody to, to make fun of you because we love making fun of each other um, here at church. So, man, you know, sometimes things can be awkward. Relationships can be awkward. And we're in this series talking about all these disciples, and we're on disciple number 10. And I'm telling you what, this guy, I don't know a lot about this guy. In fact, we know very little about this next disciple but I guarantee you there are times in his relationship with other disciples and his relationship with Jesus that it was probably just really awkward. Because this disciple's name is Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, our 10th disciple for, um, for, um, in our series. And we don't really know anything about Simon. Last week we talked about James, the son of Alphaeus. And we said, hey, we don't know anything about this guy. Well, guess what? Simon the same thing. I got to preach two sermons right in a row about guys we know nothing about. I mean, how in the world am I supposed to do that? But I believe God has a message for us because these two guys were only um, in the, the, as a list in the four gospels or in, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then also in the book of Acts. That's the only thing we know about Simon is he is listed as one of the disciples. We, we don't have any record of his, his deeds in ministry. We don't know um, his conversations. We, have nothing, we know nothing about him, but we can know something about him because of his name, Simon the Zealot. We can know a lot about him just by his name. Think about it this way. Like if I were to list uh, cars and I started listing cars like a Camaro or a Corvette or a Mustang or what about a Barracuda? That's cool. That's a cool name. What about a Barracuda? If I list, start listing names like that, what do you think about? 
speed, right? Muscle car, power. Now, if I start listing cars like an EcoSport or a town and country, yeah. What about an Astrovan? Any Astrovan people in here? Astrovan back in the day? Okay. What about an Altima? Huh? Anybody? Altimas? I don't know. When I start naming cars like that, what do you think of? Gas savings. Okay. I think of, you know, cup holders and, and car seats. That's kind of what I think about. That's all I really think about. But when, when, when this, the, the disciples were listed back in the day, and people said Simon the Zealot, or the name Zealot was, was listed or given, everybody back then in the first century, they knew what that meant. They knew what a zealot was. And so what is a zealot? Let me give you a little background to what is, who a zealot was. A zealot, generally speaking, is anybody that fervently supports a particular cause. And back in the day, back in biblical times, there were four main groups that were, um, they, had, they had big followings and they supported a particular, particular cause. And you know most of these, the Pharisees. So they were all um, about the law. They're all about following the law religiously. Then there's also the Sadducees, and they were all about the temple. So they're all about going to the temple and worshiping and the rules and regulations for that. So you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then you have the Essenes. And the Essenes were all about humble piety. And so they would literally go out and kind of culture, and they wanted just to be separated so they could be sin-free and that, that sort of thing. That's what those were the, the Essenes. And then you have the Zealots. And the zealots were all about the overthrow of Roman occupation. They were known as the biblical terrorists of the day. That's what they did. They were all about um, Rome being in the way of God and his kingdom. And so they thought it was permissible to do whatever it took to get the Romans to leave the nation of Israel. They loved Jewish independence, and they were, they would, were willing to do terrorist acts to be able to to try to see that um, fruition. And here, here's what it, here, this was their theology that kind of backed up everything that they did. Their theology was this, that only God has the right to rule over the Jews. Everyone who supports the Romans is against God. You could do whatever it takes to fix that problem. That's what they believed. And that's what they were all about. And their view of the Messiah is that he was gonna be a revolutionary leader that was gonna come create a following, create an army, and lead a revolution to overthrow the Roman occupation. That's what the zealots thought, and that's what they longed for, and that's what they, that's what they looked for. They, they were willing to kill for the cause, and they were willing to die for their cause. They were the super patriots of the day. And so the question is, how in the world did Simon, the zealot, get mixed up with this zealous political group? Well, if you go in, in biblical times and look at, or in the, in the Bible and look at uh, Paul, you know, when he was Saul before he was Paul, Saul was under the leadership of a, another um, rabbi. He was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, okay? And this guy was, was, a, was a leader and he was a, a follower after God and he was just this, this Pharisaic a Jew. Um, and we don't really know much about him, but in Acts chapter 5, he comes up in the story again and he begins to describe... Um, these disciples are, are under persecution. They're actually being uh, uh, judged or in, in front of all these Pharisees. And Gamaliel stands up and says, let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you something. All revolutions that are not backed by God will eventually fail. That was his view. So he's saying, hey, guys, these guys may be revolutionary in their view and their thinking. But guess what? All revolutions that are not backed by God, they're going to fail. And he gives some examples in Acts chapter 5, verse 37. He says this. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him, and he too perished. 
And all who followed him were scattered. And what he was talking about was a, a uh, revolt that happened in 6 AD. Okay? So 6 AD, this is uh, around a couple years maybe after Jesus is, is born. This revolt happens, and it's led by this guy named Judas the Galilean. And he created this group of zealots. And they wanted to fight against Roman taxes. And so they started fighting the Romans, um, terrorist kind of activities, guerrilla-style warfare. And the Romans band together, and they went on the march, and they wiped out this terrorist group. And they thought they had, had uh, you know, cleaned them out of, of, of Israel. But all that happened is they went underground. The zealots went underground for several decades, and they still recruited. And it was kind of like a secret organization. And somehow, Simon became a part of that. And he was known as a dagger man. And that's what, the, that's what the zealots were. And so what they would do is they would hide a knife, okay, in their clothes or in their pocket, whatever they, wherever they could hide their knife. And they would go around in crowds. And when they saw a Roman who was by himself and maybe vulnerable, or they, they saw someone who was sympathetic to the Romans, even if it was a Jew, they would go up behind them and just stab them and then put their knife up and, get, and blend into the crowd. That was one of the ways that they, they took care of business. So Simon the Zealot, that's what he did. He was, a, he was a, a freedom fighter with a knife. And so we can call him Simon the Zealot. I like to call him Simon the Slicer. Okay, so y'all gonna remember Simon the Slicer. It's just my way of remembering this guy. But he was a part of organized crime back in the day. And so my, my big question as I was looking and studying about these guys is, Jesus, why did you choose this guy? Why did you choose Simon? I think the answer is, is that Jesus, he picked Simon because he wanted to change him. He wanted to take him from being a, a knife-wielding zealot to being a gospel-centered disciple. He wanted to take someone with this, this crazy past and he wanted to change him into someone that is useful for the kingdom of God. And I think Jesus does the same thing with, for us. He has a plan for you. Think about this truth. If you're writing down any notes, you can write this down today. Jesus chooses you to change you. That's the reason Jesus chooses you. He doesn't look at you with all your special skills and talents or with your wealth or with your... your um, your position and think, you know what, man, I could really use someone like that. That's not how God views you. Because we honestly, we can't, we can't give anything to God. We can't help God in any way. He's not going to be better off because, because he has us as part of his team. No, God chooses us so he can change us. And Jesus describes our situation that needs to be changed really, really in a kind of a crazy way. He says this in Mark chapter 7. So I'm going to put it on the screen and you can, you can see this. Here's what it says. For from within... Out of the heart of man, get this, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. How many of y'all, that's your, like, your life verse? Anybody? <laughs> no, that's, we, don't, we, don't, we don't like these verses because it's talking about what's going on inside of us. And Jesus is saying, I know that. And I would say even more than that, Jesus, he's always known what's in the heart of man because the Bible says that from the very beginning, Colossians chapter one says in the very beginning, Jesus was there and he knows how sin came into this world because in the very beginning, there was no sin. Relationships were perfect. There's no broken relationships. There were no impure thoughts. There was no greed. Um, there was no regrets. There was no guilt. It was perfect. And Jesus saw it all. 
Jesus was there. And he got to experience that, and he watched. But then everything changed. We know, we look at the story of Adam and Eve. Eve. We know that everything changed, that sin came into the world. And all of a sudden, perfection is replaced with sin, and harmony is is, um, shattered by hostility. Everything changes. Relationships change. And the Bible says that God would no longer walk with man anymore in the garden. Can you imagine what it was like to walk with God every day? Be able to talk to him. This perfect relationship was broken. And Jesus watched that, and he mourned that, but then he did something about it. Because Jesus came to this earth, and he was born as a man. And he started a revolution. Now, it was not the revolution that Simon wanted, or probably was looking for in his past. It wasn't a political revolution. It was a, a spiritual revolution. And then Jesus finished it all off us. To pay for sins that he never committed, which means that he is able to pay for your sins. And he did that for a purpose. And here's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about our purpose or Jesus' purpose in all of this. He says this. Paul says this. Jesus died for all. That those who live might no, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then two verses later in verse 517, you, you guys heard this before. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come up the gospel. And do you see the flip there? Do you see the change, the transformation? It's saying like, this, this is um, your old self, your old way of doing life. And you're no longer living that way because you're in the image of Christ. He says, the old way has passed away and you are a new creation. What Jesus is trying to say here, what the Bible is trying to say is that God calls you to change you, to make you different. And that's what he did for Simon. He took Simon with all this path, that crazy stuff. Can you imagine joining that group, being called as, and he changed him. Honestly, that, that's what discipleship is. In terms of what discipleship is, that's what discipleship is. It's this constant and consistent growing and molding and shaping that God does in our lives to make him more like, make, make us more like him over and over again throughout our lives. And that's what he did evidently with Simon. We don't know all of his story, check it out. We know that he changed from being a zealot to being a disciple of Christ. But he was discipled by Jesus. Jesus took something that was broken and messed up and he changed it. Man, what a great message for us this morning that that God would would take one like Simon and change him. It gives me great hope, you know, that, that God can take someone that's broken as me and into his image. That's what God wants to do with us. He chooses us to change us. Now, if you look at these disciples, start really getting into the list of these guys, it gets a little crazy and kind of goofy, really, because you look at these guys and you see that there is some real diversity there. You have these leaders and you have these, um, these kind of follower kind of types. You have these zealots and um, you have skeptics. You have these, these ones that are really uneducated. And you probably wouldn't call them as, as a disciple normally. A, a rabbi wouldn't do that. And then you have these ones that are really educated, maybe more could, could, could fit the mold of being a disciple. You have these, this different group of people. You have some that are outgoing, and you also have some that are really timid. There's all kinds of people in this group. And if we look closely, I believe God to show, to show us what the nature of the church should be like. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the church and what the nature of the church should be like. And here's what it says. It says, for just as body is is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so is with Christ. 
For in one spirit, okay, all of us, all baptized into one body, and then, then describes the differences. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, and what he's teaching us, what he's teaching us today is this. If you write anything else down, write this down, that diversity is our defining trademark. When I look at these disciples, I see a group of immensely diverse. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because see, Jesus, he wants his church like that, full of all kinds of people. And really to be able to actually see this we, to the extreme, we got to realize something with, with this, these group of disciples. Did you know that there was already a disciple, probably already following when Simon was, was called, and his name was Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. So you have a zealot who has given his allegiance to the Jewish cause of overthrowing Romans, willing to die and willing to kill for that. And you have Matthew who has, in a way, like sold his birthright type of a thing. And he is, he is sided with the Romans to make himself rich. And they hated each other. And Jesus brings them together. Can you imagine what those first introductions were like? <laughs> I mean, so, so Jesus, he gets Simon and he brings him into the group and the guys are hanging out and he, he's like, hey guys, I wanna introduce you to a new disciple. This is Simon the Zealot. Now, you guys know the Zealots, the, that crazy terrorist group. Guess what? I've, I've asked one of them to come and be my disciple. Let me introduce Simon to, to you to all these other guys. We have Peter around here and his, his brother Andrew and, and then uh, John, like big James. you got little John. And they, these guys, these uh, two sets of brothers, they are fishermen. Can you believe that, that I would call fishermen? I mean, they're uneducated guys. Them to be one of my, dis, my disciples. And there's, there's Philip. You remember John the Baptist? He used to, Philip used to follow John the the Baptist, and then there's, there's Thomas, and Thomas, you should see Thomas's twin. They're like identical. I mean, you cannot tell them apart. Um, it's kind of crazy, but uh, Thomas has a twin, but I, I didn't call it twin. I just called him. I don't know about that, but um, so I uh, just, call, just called him, and then I also had Nathaniel. Nathaniel, man, he does not like my hometown at all. He says that nothing good can come out of, out of uh, Nazareth where I grew up. And my, my job right now is I'm trying to show him that something good can come. I'm warning this guy still. And guess what? The guy that's sitting over there by himself behind everybody, oh, that's Matthew. He's a tax collector, <laughs> okay? Why don't you go sit with him? It's gonna be great, I promise. Y'all gonna love each other and y'all can out together. Can you imagine what that was like? I bet there's times where Simon, you know what? He just wanted to beat Matthew to a pulp, you know? Maybe stab him just a little bit. You know, not, not kill him, just, just, just a little, little shank, you know, just a little bit, right? I mean, because can you imagine what he, what he thought about, about Matthew? How dare you go against God? in our country, Simon being this ultra patriot, saying, I can't believe you do that. Yet God brought them together. All that craziness, it reminds me kind of our staff meeting sometimes. <laughs> really, like last week we had a staff meeting and we were, we were talking about what, what makes a, a church um, go from being good to being great. And we were, we were discussing that and talking about, really, we have to answer um, what, what makes us successful or fruitful. That would, that would be a good way to define if we were good or great. 
And the reality is we could do a lot of different things to, to show or, or to maybe look like we're being great. We could have a lot of people coming to church. We could have uh, money just overflowing everywhere. We could have all these new ministries that are starting, um, all this stuff happening. But when I look at the disciples, one of the characteristics of not just the disciples, but of a healthy, growing, active church is to be diverse. To have a diverse group of people coming and worshiping God together. That should be one of the true marks of our church. So look around you. Do people look different or do they look the same? Do they dress the same as you? Does everybody around you vote the same as you? Does everybody around you come from the same uh, kind of circles growing up, the same socioeconomic group? And if the answer is yes, then that's a problem. That's a big problem because Jesus wants to have a church that is diverse. And honestly, if you look around the rest of the world and you see, you see the big capital C church, you realize that Jesus' church really is diverse. What's amazing about Christianity, the separate, one of the things that separates us from all other world religions is that most other world religions only really work in a certain kind of culture. But Christianity, no matter where it goes, it begins to thrive. You know, if you go over to China today, even in a communist country like China, with the oppression that's going on, do you know that the, there's hundreds of millions of Christians over there? And most of them are doing everything underground. We don't really know the numbers, but it's been estimated at one time that there are about 75,000 people coming to faith in Christ every day in China. Every single day. Now, there's 1.5 billion people there, so you know, they got a long way to go. But can you imagine if, if that was happening in the United States? And you know what? They're doing church completely different than the way we do church. And you know what? That is okay. That is great. Diverse. But the problem is you look around at, at like local church, and sometimes we are... We like to segregate ourselves, you know? So you get all sorts of different kinds of, of churches. You've got Hispanic churches, you've got black churches, you've got white churches, you've got Baptist and non-denominational Presbyterian and Church of Christ. You have all these different groups. And yeah, we have differences, and sometimes we have even some uh, theological differences. But the reality is, is the church should come together and be diverse. But not, even, not just the church, but in your own life. Like, think about the people you hang out with. Are they just like you? And the reality is they probably are because we just naturally tend to, to gravitate towards people that are like us. The same, you know, uh, theological, same uh, political viewpoint, the same uh, thoughts about society. Uh, we raise our kids the same. You know, we go and hang out and do the same kind of things. We naturally tend to, to get towards and, and come towards the people that are, are like us. But we need to think about being more diverse in who we are. If you look at the demographics of Owasso, 74% of Owasso would be considered white, okay? Which means 26% of Owasso is uh, our minority. And my, my big kind of question to us is, are we like that? Do we represent the same thing or are we missing something somewhere? We need to be more like the disciples. Jesus did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. He brought these different kinds of people from different political viewpoints, different backgrounds, possibly even different ethnicities, for a purpose. And the question is, how in the world are, are groups have, have differing you know, viewpoints? How are they supposed to, to act together? How are they supposed to get along? 
Because really, I mean, if, if we have different theological viewpoints on the minor issues, that can be a dividing thing. You know, if we think of politics differently, that can be a dividing thing. So how in the world do harmony together as a church? How are the disciples, how's Simon, how's Matthew, are they supposed to come together and do this thing called following Jesus together? How in the world are they supposed to do that without killing each other? Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 13. He says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And at one point in his life, Simon wanted to probably kill Matthew, but something changed. And the question is, what changed? How many of you guys like Westerns? Anybody? Yeah, come on. Come on, you Western fans. I like Westerns. It's awesome. Anybody watch Chisholm? John Wayne? It's part of my family tree. I, get, I don't know. I just made that up. Okay. But, uh, but man, I love Westerns. And you remember like when you're, when you're watching a wagon, you know, going down the prairie and they, it's got this big one. It's got this central hub and all these spokes coming off of it. Think of the Christian uh, or the church like that. We may be diverse and we may be all going our separate directions. But if we turn around and begin to focus in on the central hub, which is Christ, this is what happens. As the hub come together, get closer and closer, we too can become closer and closer. As we begin to focus on Christ, and he becomes that one thing in our lives. You know what, yeah, maybe we have, may have some different viewpoints, some different political viewpoints. We may look differently, we may dress differently, we may act a little bit differently, but you know what? None of that even matters, who cares? Because I'm focused on Christ. I'm focused on loving Jesus. And when you do that, here's what happens. A church begins to stop looking inwardly Okay? A church begins to, to stop uh, just thinking about preserving itself. But you know what those are called? Those are called dying churches, by the way. Okay? It's called dying churches. And when a church begins to love Christ, and then just with everything, it begins to be the number one thing, not holding on to all this stuff, but be, begin, be the number one thing, here's what happens. He begins to change us. Things begin to happen. And all of a sudden, we begin to turn our seats around and look out. People that are lost in our community. I was having lunch with one of our uh, local pastors uh, in the area, and we began to talk about all the lost people in Owasso. We look at it, there's 50-something churches in Owasso, and you're like, oh my goodness, like everybody should be a Christian. The reality is, I bet the majority of people in Owasso do not go to church anywhere. People everywhere. But as the church begins to focus on Christ, our diversity becomes a great thing. It becomes an awesome, it becomes a, a God thing. We just stay a good church. That's what happened. We would become a great church. Things begin to change. The Bible also shows us what it should look like. Colossians chapter 3 says that here in the church, in God's people, there is there's no Greek and Jew anymore. And that was a huge thing back then. There's no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised and uncircumcised. I'm talking about the same thing. There's no barbarian or Scythian or slave or free. They're completely polar opposites in the, in the socioeconomic world, Okay. It says, but Christ is all and in all. That's what the church should be like. Diversity should be a big thing for us. It should be for. When people look a little different than us, we should champion that. We should love that. We should encourage that. We should want that. So what can we take away from Simon? What can we take away from this guy? All we know is his last name. Well, I think there, there's, it's simply this. We'll end with this. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Here's how I know. Luke chapter 6. When Jesus made big decisions, you know what he did? He got away. He went up on the mountain, got alone, prayed to the Father. Here's what it says in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 6. It says, in these days he went out 
to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. How many of y'all can pray for more than five minutes without falling asleep? Bunch of liars, okay? Bunch of liars, okay? Jesus prays all night, okay? Prays all night to, to the Father. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. You think Simon was a mistake? God doesn't make mistakes. Simon was handpicked on purpose for a reason. Matthew, being partnered up with Simon as a disciple, was not a mistake. God had a purpose for that. I'll go so far as to say that, a little hint for two weeks from now, when Jesus called Judas, that was not a mistake either. God had a plan. Here's the deal, guys. God has chosen us, okay? All this being different, he's chosen us for a purpose. We're not mistakes. We were handpicked. You know what? We may have, have differences. We may have different opinions. We may have different philosophies. Parts of town, okay? Some of us might even came from Texas, okay? We might be different. But you know what? That's what God wants. He wants a diverse group of people because you know who can reach the world? Diverse group of people. We can go out and change the world. He has called us. We are handpicked. He does not make mistakes. And here's another thing. Some of us think, you know what? God wouldn't choose me with all my sin and all my dunk. And, all. and look at Simon. Can you imagine the things that he did? Jesus just might have asked a murderer to be one of his disciples. You know what that means for us? When God calls us and chooses us, he wants to change us. Maybe today that's what he's calling you to do. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I will tell you this, you are chosen. You've been called. But it's like any relationship, it's, it's two ways. It's two-sided. You gotta come to faith in Christ. You gotta meet him where he's at. He'll meet you where you're at. And ask for, ask for forgiveness and ask Jesus, man, I don't know what this is all about. My life is a big mess, but I want you to change me. different. God will do that even today. And here's the deal, maybe God's calling you to be a part of Central, this crazy group. And they're crazy. You should look at our staff, okay? It's nuts around here. It's crazy. You know what? That's a great thing. God is doing something special here. Maybe God's cho choosing you and calling you to be a part of this church. Man, I think we, when God's doing something in our lives, we need to respond. Sometimes we want to weigh the options forever, forever, but God is saying, hey, I want you to have some faith. I want you to, to, to do what I'm calling you to do. Maybe today, for some of you, that might be what you need to do. So here in a second, we're going to pray. We have this connection room right over here. We, we don't always uh, have it, everybody come up to the front. Um, man, if you want to do that, you can do that as well. But man, if, if you want in private, go talk to somebody about, about what it means to be a believer in Christ. Man, we want to open that up as an opportunity for you. And if, if you're like thinking, man, Central might be a, a good place for us to call home, we would love to talk with you about being a member here at Central. Whatever God is calling you to do, let's respond to him today. Why don't you stand with me and we'll have a closing word of prayer. Let's pray. God. Thank you for choosing us. Every single one of us. We may be people in this room have been Christians for 60 years or one day or not at all. But God, for every one of us in this room here in this message, we are chosen by you. And God, you choose us not that we can do something great um, with our talent and skills or possessions or, or position, not with any of that stuff. 
But God, you, you choose us because you want to change us and you want to get the glory. You want to take broken individuals and make them into new vessels. You want to take people who feel inferior and cannot be used. You want to take them and mold them and shape them into the image of your son and change them for your glory. To tell the world about the gift that is in the salvation through Christ. So we thank you, God, that you have chosen us. And I pray if there's anybody today that needs to make that ultimate decision and put their faith and trust in Jesus, they would do that right now. There are people in this room who, who need to, to come and be a part of this, this group we call Central Baptist. Gotta pray that you would uh, you'd be working in their lives as well. We're excited about the future here. We believe, God, that you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're doing something amazing and crazy in us. We believe our, our vision statement that says Jesus is creating a church where he's changing everything. And we don't really know what that looks like. Maybe he's changing the way we do church. Maybe Jesus is changing our, our perceptions and our, our ideas of what church looks like. God, but more than that, I believe, Jesus, you're changing our hearts and want to mold us and shape us. And we are never done. I don't care if we're 95 years old or five. You are always continually changing us and calling us to be one of your disciples, just like you did for Simon. And God, even though we don't know his whole story, we know his past. They know that he was changed. That's great comfort for us, for us, God, even despite all of our faults, even despite all of our differences, you are calling us. You have chosen us to change us and you want us to be diverse. And the only way we can do that, God, is if our focus is on you. And so I pray for Central. I pray for our families. I pray for our communities, Lord, that we would put aside our differences and focus on you. And when we do that, we begin to love one another. When we do that, things begin to change. So help us to do that, God, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.